0: You're listening to the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. Remember to like, share, comment, subscribe, and click the bell to make sure you get the latest episodes of the podcast. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. And on the podcast, we have started a new series looking at associate nations within cricket and how they are developing the game in their country. Many of us cricket fans know so much about the established cricketing countries and not enough on the associate nations who play cricket. So it would be be, uh, nice to learn about those associate countries and via the podcast, people can also learn more as well. For today's Associate Cricket Series episode, we are discussing all things European cricket. Joining me to discuss and talk all things European cricket and associate cricket is Andrew Nixon. Andrew, welcome.
1: Uh, thank you thank you for having me on the show.
0: It's great to have you here Andrew and very much looking forward to our chat today and i'm and I'm sure everyone watching and listening to this episode of the podcast would feel the same as well to learn more about associate cricket in Europe because it's definitely growing and there's a lot of teams that take up the sport in the uh, in Europe so it'd be good to to learn about that a bit more today. but Andrew, before we talk about that, as I do with all my guests I'd like to Take them back to how they got into cricket, their journey into this great game of ours. And uh, it's been very fascinating listening to people's memories and recollections about how they got into cricket. So, Andrew, let's go back to the very beginning. Growing up, what were your earliest memories of watching, playing and even going to the cricket? And if you had some cricketing idols, who were they?
1: Yeah, so I, I sort of got into cricket relatively um Late, you I, my, my, my immediate family don't play cricket. They don't watch cricket. It was my uh, mum's stepdad who was the cricket fan in the family who got me into cricket. I he lived sort of in Morecambe, just on the Lancashire coast. I'm from Lancashire. Um, and <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Um, and one summer I was there, and it was the England India series in 1990. So I would have been. 10 going on 11 and that was the it was the laws test match where graham gooch scored three from 33 um which sort of fascinated me and then think capital dev hit four sixes in a row to avoid the follow-on and gooch scored a century again in the second innings great match uh one that's stuck in the stuck in the memory ever since i suppose and that was sort of my introduction to cricket and i became obsessed with it uh, ever since um i i tried to play <laughs> tried being the the operative word i think i very quickly realized i was better at talking about cricket <laughs> than yeah. i was at playing it um I, I probably could have been an umpire if i had the had the patience to do it um yeah. but I, I didn't have the patience or a scorer um <laughs> but yeah i so i yeah i sort I of switched to sort of writing about cricket, uh, sort of casually on, an, on my own, own blog, and then in in the year 2000, someone bought me a copy of that year's Wisdom, and I, thought, you know, I was uh, vaguely aware of you know, the other teams that had played in the World Cup, so the Netherlands, Scotland, Kenya, yeah. Bangladesh, were still an associate at that point, point. <laughs> um, and the UAE had obviously played in 96, um, but I, I got that that edition of wisdom and there was that cricket around the world section with all these wonderful stories um as still exists um about cricket in unusual places and one thing that really grabbed me the, in that because that was the centenary. that was the you know 2000 edition of wisdom so they had lots of lists oh. of best players of the 20th century best matches of the 20th century and in that map that list of matches of best matches of the 20th century there was a game that me- that was mentioned between France and Germany and I was oh, I got France and Germany that doesn't make sense and then it, was a, it was a description of it that someone had won the winning run came from the French lord about a who got hit by a bouncer, wasn't wearing a helmet, staggered over to the other end and scored ahead by if you like. Mm. and the France went on to win by one run and that was well that's a really interesting story um I want to know more about that and yeah I didn't really have access to the internet much at that point and but as I went to the library and so started looking around for evidence of this match and you sort of stumble across various websites and I found a report on the match and was found the name of the player was a guy called David boards I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong um, his French would be more David Balls or yeah. something like that. Um, and I have since met the guy, and he has a scar on the on his head from, which is obviously caused by the ball. It's yeah. a his skull. Um, and it was, yeah. And as you sort of researching more, you start learning more about cricket in all these places, and it, it became an an obsession of mine. And it's like, so I think it's like you discover, um. You discover something that other people don't know about. You know, it's yeah. like you discovered something. It's like when, I suppose it's like when you discover a, a band that none of your friends have heard of, and you want mm. to sort of you want to sort of tell people all, all about it. And so I started a blog writing about um, cricket in these countries, and that sort of carried on for a few years, just sort of casually writing about it. I think the the, yep. the moment I sort of started being a bit more serious about it, was in 2004. So this is, I think this was my, to use a strange word, radicalisation moment. There was mm. a tournament played in the uh, UAE. <clears throat> it was the ICC Six Nations Challenge. It was a 50-over tournament which involved um, Scotland, USA, Ireland, uh, UAE, um, Netherlands, and... and a team that I'm forgetting at the moment, I do apologise, not Canada, that was the other team, and it was a really exciting tournament. Um, It ended up with, like, Canada lost all five of the games and the other teams all won two, lost three, so you had five teams separated by net run rate and the USA won ahead of Scotland, and he was like, if, if Scotland had scored two more runs somewhere else in the tournament, they'd have they'd have won the tournament. So really, it was probably the first really good associate tournament. Um, And the winners of that would qualify for the Champions Trophy in 2004 Uh, and would be in the same group as Australia and New Zealand. And obviously, that was the USA. And at the time of the qualifying tournament, there was a press release put out by the ITC and they had comments from Ricky Ponting in it. And he was saying how much he was looking forward to playing the winners in the Champions Trophy. Come the Champions yeah. Trophy, Ricky Pontin was all, well, these teams shouldn't be here. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a, mm. it, you know, a, a major international tournament isn't the place for a team like the USA. And I was, oh, hang on, what's happened? You're now with twenty, nearly 20 years of hindsight, of knowledge, of how things work. I know that. One or both of those things that Ricky Ponting said was was ghostwritten, and he probably never said yeah. either of them. But at the yeah. time, I was like, well, this is, this isn't right. This isn't what cricket's supposed to be. cricket's supposed to be about. Fair play. Yeah. So you, so it was like when you you're the illusion of what you, you've been told all your life. Yeah. And so ah, and that mm. and so it made me really angry. So I started getting more serious about uh, promoting associate cricket, writing about it. Eventually, I got. Offered to write for Cricket Europe, which is where uh, where I've written ever since that started in 2006, and it's just sort of continued from there. It's uh, you know, it's very much a, a hobby and a passion. Um, I, I often tell people the way to make a million from million pounds from associate cricket is to start with two million pounds. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's you know, you, nobody nobody's getting rich from associate cricket yet, yeah. unfortunately as much as I'd yeah. like to. Um mm. and yeah, I think I the, the you know, you get hooked by the sort of unusual stories and then you realize that it's 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 not just the unusual stories. There's there's more to it. There's some passionate there's some very passionate people who have been promoting cricket in some of these countries for a long time. Uh sometimes without any interest from the sort of you know cricket cricket's governing body uh, the icc and sometimes quite antagonistic approach to growing the game uh, from yeah. I think, some full members and um you're criminally underfunded which i'm sure we'll get into as we as the yeah. conversation progresses and yeah it's it's a it's a fascinating part of cricket's world I think as well you you, know, you see in associate cricket how cricket could be because the mm. you know, tournaments and you know we, there's lots of conversations around you know things like context at the moment you know associate cricket has to some extent always had that context uh, and I think I got into associate cricket as I say in the year 2000 and that was when lots of regional tournaments had started being launched and these regional tournaments all had pathways you had a division three tournament that led into a division two tournament led into a division one tournament led into a global qualifier the the cricket was had context. There were rewards for winning and consequences for losing. Sometimes mm. those consequences can be quite, quite dire. You're, you're talking about funding, and you know it's like you you can have a match where if you lose, um, you you're not going to be able to have a coach the next year. Not because the coach is getting sacked because he's lost, but because you literally won't be able to afford to pay for a coach anymore. Yeah. Because you're not getting that funding that you would have got if you'd have qualified, so it it becomes it became a as I say an obsession, and I think you you see oh this is how cricket could be if people got their uh, themselves together and yeah. thought about improving cricket because I think you know, a lot of cricket with full members now is just it's cricket for the sake of playing cricket. Yeah. And I think when we, we talk about the I was posting about this on Twitter yesterday. When we talk about the rise of um franchise cricket, I think that's because franchise cricket has, has taken the place that international cricket used to have. International cricket was the place where you saw the best players. You know, if you were living in England or Australia, the only time you saw Brian Lara play in the nineties was when the West Indies were touring. Hmm. But now, the modern-day equivalent of Brian Lara, or let's say, let's say Virat Kohli, you can see him on TV quite regularly. Yeah. Um, and you know I can see Australian... I can watch the Big Bash League uh, you know, to, you know, this, this week if I want to. Yeah. Uh, I can watch the IPL in a few months. I can watch cricket from all over the world. And international cricket has sort of lost that place, but international cricket hasn't really changed how they do things. It still yeah. will go on a tour somewhere we'll play someone It doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And people sometimes get angry when you talk about all oh, the ashes don't really mean anything. And I think, you know, to some extent they don't, you know, there's no consequences for losing the ashes. You know, England played terribly in the ashes for, you know, 20 years nearly. <laughs> and nothing really happened, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, nothing, you know, England is still allowed to come and play Australia. Um, probably a little bit too much, um, I think, yeah, these days, you know, especially now we've got, you know, the three formats. And, yeah, I think you you learn what a sort of privileged position those full members have in terms of being able to organise fixtures and being able to pay the players. And, um, you know, when people talk about, oh, we can just get rid of bilateral cricket. So, well, hang on, that's not really the case for most cricket-playing countries. Hmm, but the yeah. cricket as you actually pay attention to, it probably is. Um yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's a fascinating area of cricket and I'm sure we will get into it a bit more as we as we talk.
0: Yeah, well that was great hearing about your journey and I couldn't agree more with what you said about associate cricket oh. and you know trying to grow and promote the game. I think that's paramount in the growth of the sport going forward, absolutely. And that's why we're doing this series on on the podcast, learning more about these associate teams and speaking to people like yourself and people who are involved in associate cricket to get a bit of understanding of, of how it all works. Yeah. So I couldn't agree more there. Um, and I thought to start this interview, Andrew, I thought we'd talk about uh, the history of cricket in Europe because uh, you learn so much from the game's rich history, as as you know, and um, the history of cricket in Europe is quite interesting. Um, and, you know, many of the associate countries that play cricket in Europe have a connection to cricket in some shape or form um, going back many, many years or or even in this current era or something like that. Um, and obviously we know that England have a rich cricketing history in Europe because that's where the game started and that's where it became to be. Um, so, Andrew, give us a bit of a brief overview of the of the history of the game of cricket in Europe. How did how does it tie into all of those countries?
1: Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good question. It's it it varies country by country. There's essentially been um, two main waves of cricket coming into Europe. The first wave happened in mostly in the sort of late nineteenth century, where English workers were be were moving to various countries and bringing cricket with them sometimes it stuck sometimes it didn't so you know denmark is a good example of this so it was introduced by english railway workers in the late 19th century and it stuck around um other countries it was introduced and then sort of hung on for a few years and then as english workers moved away it it, it sort of died out and you know like belgium for example where you know, I think people will probably be vaguely aware of the first ever Olympic cricket match in 1900 between England and France. The French team was all expatriate English people living in Paris. Um, I think the one of the clubs that provided most of the players on on their Twitter account, I think it's a standard athletic cricket club, still describes themselves. as we supplied the ringers for the French cricket team at the 1900 Olympics, um, which I think is a very... Uh, a uh, nice way to, to look at things, which is quite common in associate cricket. And, um, you know, as I said, sometimes the game stuck around, played by a very small amount of people. And then there was a sort of another wave of immigration from the subcontinent in, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, so from India and Pakistan, where they brought cricket with them as well. So there's two sort of distinct waves of cricket being introduced. And in some countries it happened in... Happened both times so denmark's a good example where it was introduced in the late 19th century carried on for a while denmark had a very good team in the 70s very nearly qualified for the 1979 world cup just to go into that into a bit of detail which is quite an interesting story um the icc trophy as it was then now the world cup qualifier was played immediately before the world cup um 15 team tournament three groups of five what was going to happen was the group winners and the better in a row would qualify for the semi-finals. And those semi-finals, the two winners would qualify for the World Cup. Um, Sri Lanka were scheduled to play Israel in their uh, penultimate group game. Uh, the Sri Lankan government at the time didn't have di- diplomatic relationships with Israel and told the team not to play the game. So that game was awarded to Israel. So Israel technically have an international cricket win over Sri Lanka, Um it was by forfeit, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, interesting little fact for you. And the what happened was that that meant that Sri Lanka were the bottom seeds in the semi-final. If for the semi-finals were Denmark were the top seeds, that meant Denmark played Sri Lanka in the semi-final. Had Sri Lanka played that game against Israel, and probably would have won the game against Israel, Denmark would have instead played Canada in the semi-finals. And Denmark had already thrashed Canada early on in the tournament and therefore would probably have got to that World Cup instead of Canada, uh, which obviously Canada and Sri Lanka qualified. And then, so Denmark had this team of and, you know, entirely sort of, and I hate using the word native um, Danish people. Um, and, you know, a lot of Danish cricketers would play, county cricket, Olly Mortensen would be the, the most famous, played for Derbyshire for a number of years um known for a known as a yeah, pretty terrible batsman. Um but he played for Derbyshire at the same time as Devon Malcolm, who also known as a pretty terrible batsman. And what Ollie morton was so bad that Devon Malcolm batted ahead of him in the order. So that gives you an idea of how bad a batter Ollie Mortenson was. <laughs> uh, although he claims to have scored centuries in Danish domestic cricket, but I think all bowlers claim to have scored centuries in club cricket somewhere, don't they? So that's that's, that's nothing new. Um, and uh, so there's this, then there's this wave of immigration into Denmark from the subcontinent. And now you'll, you'll see a lot of Asian names in the Danish team. Most of them are born in Denmark. You know, they're, they're so, you know the second, even third generation of the, of the Asian community in Denmark. So you've got, Denmark's a good example of where you've had both sort of waves happen. Other countries, you had the English wave happen, died off. Asian wave happened. Other countries only had the Asian wave. More recently as well as Afghan refugees have come into some European countries. There's been a, another sort of wave that's happened a lot in Germany. There's been a lot of Afghan refugees. Germany's national team even has a former Afghan national team player in it um, whose name escapes me. Dolat Ahmed, I think it might be. Um, so, yeah, you've got... Uh, there's a sort of third wave, sort of starting to happen in some countries as well now.
0: Yeah, uh, that, that was uh, good to hear uh, a, a brief overview on the on the history of uh, cricket in Europe. It's very fascinating, uh, and I'm sure people would have learned more from your uh, from your summary there, uh, which is fantastic. Um, I thought we now talk about Andrew. Is the the national teams, women's and men's that play? cricket within Europe um, and it'll be good to gain your insights on some of the teams and learn more about their achievements what they've done their history a little bit the players stories because as you said before many of the players come from diverse backgrounds to play cricket in Europe and uh, so it'll be interesting to hear your insights on on that um, so for those who may not know Andrew um, a lot about the teams in Europe um, women's and men's teams. Can you tell us a bit more about them, the players, some of their stories, etc.?
1: So yeah, obviously, the, you're the top team in you know, continental Europe. Is is of course the Netherlands. And I know you have, you've had Bertus De Jong on the podcast. So I won't. I'm sure he's got into a lot about the cricket history of cricket in the Netherlands. But you yeah. know, I think people know Dutch cricketers. Um, a lot of some of them play in Australia. Some of them play in England. Um, in terms of other, so Denmark's another good example. I maj- mentioned Ollie and Amjad Khan, who played for England even um, a couple of times, originally played, was originally from Denmark, played in the Under-19 World Cup in 1998 for Denmark, uh, played a few times, played in the 2001 ICC trophy the qualified for the 2003 World Cup, um, eventually switched to England, then switched back to Denmark. Um, other Danish players, Soren Herrickson, uh, played for Lancashire, which was in my my county. Um, in other other sort of top countries, you've got the Channel Islands, which has obviously got British, obviously is a, a British islands. Uh, Jersey and Guernsey are probably the other two sort of top teams, top associate teams in Europe. Um, obviously, cricket there has a very long history because it's you know it's British. Fascinating players coming out of uh, Jersey in particular. They uh, they have had a sort of key squad now for almost a decade of very young players. They tend to start players quite young. They'll come into the national team at 14 or 15 and have sort of stuck around. John T. Jenner is a very um, talented player. Started playing for the national team at 15. I, mean, I saw him about just over 10 years ago. He was playing under-19 cricket when he was only 14 and was quite easily the best um uh, player on the team he played a little bit uh, in the sussex system in england uh but unfortunately i think it just didn't sort of work out for him um which which surprised me but i still think he he can play a county cricket um so france um obviously i mentioned the story about uh winning the winning a tournament with a head by uh david boards a lot of good players in France. Um, there's been a sort of renaissance almost in French cricket uh, recently. Unfortunately, there's a bit of scandal in French cricket at the moment, which people may have heard of, where um, results of women's matches have been faked to try and get ITC funding. That's nothing nothing new about that in in a, in European cricket and in associate cricket in general, where um, a lot of access funding is based on sort of self-reported census figures, and there has been going to choose my words very carefully um, encouragement to uh, inflate some of those figures a bit. Um, yeah. I'm not going to say who's done the encouragement and who who has been encouraged because uh, I don't want to be sued and I can't afford a lawyer um and so but yeah that's that 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 didn't surprise me which is a shame because the french women's team has sort of come on in leaps and bounds in recent years um germany again um cricket introduced there i think in the 20s by english residents there's a there's a um very good book which which the name of which is escaping me now uh but i'll 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 uh, I'll try to remember, but uh, where a gentleman of Warwickshire team toured Germany uh, in 1936, so during the you know, Nazi era, and it's a, it's a very, very good book. I recommend people sort of look it up and, and read it, and cricket sort of became, you know, it was an English game and during the Second World War, so it died out and then sort of came back with, first from English troops um stationed in Germany and um, that that sort of link has sort of continued to do is there's an umpire who umpires in county cricket now by the name of Paul Baldwin who originally started as an umpire in British forces matches in Germany um and was for many years listed as it on Cricket forum, and cricket archive as a German umpire. Um and obviously now he umpire's county cricket but he umpired a lot of associate tournaments in there so late 2000s, early 2010s, and now, as I say, umpires in counter cricket. I think he was one of the umpires the other year where there was the crossbow fired into the oval, people may remember. I think he was one yeah. of the umpires uh, for that for that game. And, yeah, so Germany, as I say, there's a lot of uh, good players in their their national teams. Oh, Dola Ahmadzai, I think, is the Afghan who now plays for Germany. Um, Belgium has played cricket for a long time, they were invited to the <coughs> first Olympics tournament in 1900, never turned up. Um, they've had, um, they had a guy whose name is to me. he's one of my Facebook friends, but it was very, uh, a big name in Belgian cricket into the eighties. Belgium even were playing three-day cricket, you know, multi-day cricket international cricket in the nineties, um, against places like France and, yeah, and, and Eastern Europe has been where the sort of main sort of, Indian and Pakistani immigration has come has come in, in recent years. You, what, you tend to see something very interesting, that the men's teams in these countries tend to be mostly uh, Asian expats, whereas the women's teams tend to have more local players um, yeah. in them. You see that in Italy. You see that in uh, places like Estonia, um, Estonia have a fascinating cricket ground there um and I know that I happen to know about this because there's a story here that involves um shared Warren, believe it or not um where um they have a cricket ground that's in the middle of a harness racing track so like people on like you know like chariot racing almost yeah,
0: yeah.
1: where you know there's horse races going on around where whilst cricket's being played and some friends of mine had covered a tournament. Uh, some of my colleagues at Cricket Europe covered a tournament there. And the captain of the Estonian cricket team, a uh, guy, I think it's Tim Heath at the time, owned the poker site that Shane Warne was, did adverts for. Yeah. So he somehow got Shane Warne to turn up at this like tournament in Estonia, um, which. um. And you know, he turned up. He was when he was, uh, you know, going out with Liz Hurley. So I think people were probably more interested in Liz Hurley than Shane Warne at the time, um, yeah. as, as perhaps he would be. But yeah, um, so he turned up with Liz Hurley to a cricket tournament in Estonia, um, of all places. Um, you know, and most of Eastern Europe now have have, have teams. Slovenia, Slovenia is an interesting one because cricket was introduced there in a slightly different way by. A, someone who'd gone to England to visit a pen pal at a sort of extended stay over the summer introduced and was discovered cricket and brought it back to this little village in Slovenia and all his friends started playing cricket and that's how cricket ended up in Slovenia. So you have these weird sort of stories and um, if you look up the, of the Slovenian national team on Wikipedia there's a bit more about it on there. They sort of introduced cricket into this little village and there was sort of 24 of them who would form two teams and play against each other. And that sort of continued for about 20 years until they grew up and left and, and whatnot. But eventually cricket sort of came back with that wave of Asian immigration. Um, Slovakia have a team, um, Serbia have a team. Serbia have a very good international kit. I recommend people look it up. And... Um, uh, also, Scandinavia, I've mentioned. Denmark, Norway have a team, uh, which is introduced, again, by Asian immigrants. Um, then uh, Sweden play. Almost everywhere in Europe now has a national team. Austria um, is, a, is a good example of what you see a lot in Europe, where you've got a family who will get quite involved in cricket. Yeah. Um, a guy by the name of Andrew Simpson Parker, whom from England, married an Austrian uh, lady called Karen. Uh, Karen Simpson Parker actually played for the Austrian men's national team when they were short of numbers. She'd gone as the scorer, and oh, we we short of a player. We need to, we need to, <laughs> we need to recruit our scorer, uh, which is yeah. something you often see in associate cricket. There's a, a classic example. I was following a match. I think it was the Czech Republic team on Twitter, where. Um, the guy who was running their Twitter account and live scoring this match said, Sorry, we're not going to be able to do any updates for a while. I've got to go on as a sub fielder. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, you do see that a lot in Europe. It's quite sort of endearing in a way. Um, yeah, so obviously Andrew Simpson Parker and Karen Simpson Parker, and now um, their son Mark plays for the Austrian national team. Their daughter, who uh, his name escapes me, is sort of about on the verge of making the Austrian women's team. Do so you see a lot of these sort of family links um, yeah. throughout European cricket? You'll, you'll often see, and you, you see this in the Netherlands a lot. Obviously, you know, Bas de Leede is Tim de leader son, and there's some sons of former cricketers, Dutch cricketers, coming through into the um, into the Dutch youth setup now and into the Dutch national team. There's um three triplets who have all played for the netherlands and um, if you can remember their names uh sakib zulfika asad zulfika i think sakanda zulfika their dad played for the netherlands in the 1996 world cup so you you, you've seen the second generation of asian immigrants in some countries now playing play for the national teams so yeah there's 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 a wide variety it I've not even mentioned Italy. Um Italy um, one of the top associates. Um you see Italy sort of benefit a lot by Italy has a very sort of generous nationality by descent uh, rules. Whereas I think a lot of countries it's first generation born abroad gets citizenship than every other generation doesn't. Yeah. Italy has a if you've had an Italian ancestor who left Italy in the eighteen eighties, you can probably get an Italian passport so you see a lot of Australians with Italian heritage and a lot of South Africans with Italian heritage play. Um, Carl Sandry who played in the Big Bash League I think for one of the Sydney teams um, a few years ago uh, was a very um, big Italian player he even coached Papua New Guinea as well. Um, The Oh, his name's escaped me. He's a county cricketer who uh plays for Italy, uh, recently retired. He's now the Italy captain and coach. I should be able to remember his name, but it's just it's yeah. um, as it tends to do when you waffle on. But yeah, is, you, you don't have to go very far to find a national team in, in Europe, and there's always fascinating stories around many of the players how they you know, especially when you have a you someone who doesn't have that ancestry from a major cricket playing country, how they got into cricket. is often very, as You I mentioned the guy in Slovenia who got into it through a pen pal. You see a lot of stories so sort of similar to that. I was on holiday in England and I got hooked on cricket. I was on holiday in Australia and I got hooked on cricket. Um, you, you see, you see a lot of that. And you know, think people, I think your know, cricket often sort of, makes out that it's a sort of impenetrable sport that it's really hard for people who don't know it to understand. And yeah. it isn't really. I think you and I both know that. It's, yeah. it's actually a very simple sport. I think any sport, the basics of it are very simple. The and you learn the rest as you as you play. as cricket I mean, has a tendency to put barriers and that happens at yeah. all oh, it happens at the grassroots level and it happens you're know, at the international level as well. So, um, yeah, it's like people can get interested in cricket without any cricket background. Uh, Romania is a good example of that. Pavel Florin, who sort yeah. of discovered cricket. Uh, your people will definitely be aware of Pavel Florin. You went viral a few years ago with his yeah. unusual calling action. And you know he discovered cricket just walking past a park and seeing it being played. And he tried all sorts of sports. He played American football in Romania as well. And you know he's a he's a big burly guy. You can, can sort of imagine him playing rugby or American football or something like that. And he sort of got hooked on cricket. And he, he started playing cricket at 38 and played has played t20 internationals. Um, you know since stairs has got expanded. So you 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 have very you have very interesting stories of people who have discovered cricket in unexpectedly players who have just seen the game and thought i want to try this and i think sometimes cricket stops tries to stop that happening um um, where cricket tended to fade out in in europe it was it tended to be where it was introduced by sort of more upper class english people who like to keep things to themselves and um you, you know this is a story you see a lot in you know, throughout the world in cricket where cricket was introduced by sort of English aristocracy almost. And yeah. well, not necessarily aristocracy, but you know, upper class English people yeah. who didn't let, you know, the locals come and play with them. And I think that, you know, the teams that are now at the top of the game, are essentially the the con- the countries where they did let the locals play <laughs> and yeah. the countries that associate members so of countries tend to be where they didn't let the locals play. It's funny how that works, isn't it? Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. As I say, there's all these great stories, and um, far more than we I think we can get through in in the time we've got. So.
0: <laughs> well, there, as I said, you know, there's there's so many to to talk about, and so many teams. Mm. There's like 33 teams if you include obviously the two full members, which is England and Ireland, and then you have yeah. the other teams that come after that. So there's a lot of teams to discuss and talk about. So many great stories, and I and I suppose that's the thing. With associate cricket, not just in Europe, but in other parts of the world, as you said, mm-hmm. they have funny ways of getting into the game, isn't that right?
1: Yeah, um, there's uh, you 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 see a lot in the Pacific Islands, in particular, where they have long family histories in mm. in cricket. There's the Amini family in Papua New Guinea is a good example of that. The main ground in Papua New Guinea is is Amini Park, where um, there's sort of two two uh, recent players on the men's team are Aminis. A player, a recent player on the women's team was an Amini. Their um, dad, uncle, and mum all play for Papua New Guinea. Their granddad played for Papua New Guinea. Um, you see, very, um your know, Fiji is a good example of a of a of a country that's had a really long history in cricket. Um, toured New Zealand in the. 1890s um, where the one of the players was the Governor General of Fiji at the time a guy by the name of John Udall you may recognise the name Udall in cricket because he's the great grandfather of Sean Udall who played for England for a few years Um, Fiji again toured in New Zealand in the 50s as a guy whose name is normally shortened and scorecards to I.L. Bula I won't pronounce this full name it's got about 50 letters in it um look him up on wikipedia and you'll see how it's uh yeah i see his full name he's I he's got the longest name of anybody longest surname of anybody in
0: even
1: longer than chminder name <laughs> well chminder Vass only has a four letter surname so um he's got the longest surname in international yeah. cricket not necessarily the longest name because chminder has about eight names or something doesn't it um mm. yeah um and you know Fiji as well. Um, Neil Maxwell, who uh, played in Australia and New Zealand for a number of years, was born in Fiji. Played international cricket for Fiji up until I think two thousand and five. Um, you know, so you see a lot of um, un- unexpected links. I think um, there's a guy in New Zealand, um, Sean Sawyer, who scored a double century recently in New Zealand's. Domestic first-class competition, the Plunkett Cup. Who's a Samoan international? Um, yeah, you know, New Zealand A recently had a team that had a former, some, a, a current Samoan international, a current Dutch international, a former Dutch international, and a former Hong Kong international. So, um, you know, people sometimes uh, have a go at England for picking players from other countries, but other other countries that do it as well. Tim David, yeah. um, obviously yeah. plays for Australia now, played for Singapore before, yeah. was born in Singapore because his dad played for Singapore. Um, had, he'd moved there for work, started playing for the Singapore national team. So even there, Tim David, who you wouldn't think had a family link to an associate member does because his dad played for played yeah. for Singapore as well. Um, yeah, so you get these um, these unexpected links in some places. Africa is a good example of fam- where families have played. You'll see a lot of brothers playing for Kenya or for Uganda, and now you're seeing the sort of second generation of cricket, play- cricket players in those families. It, you know, it happens. It happens all over the world. South America is a very good example. Um, Argentina, of a player who I'm a bit obsessed by, uh, called Alejandro Ferguson. This is a, this is something you see a lot in uh, Argentinian cricket because the cricket game was introduced by British people who have since yeah. So, married into Argentina, France, you see a lot of hybrids of Spanish and English British names. So, Alejandro Ferguson was a Diego Lord, Esteban McDermott. You see these wonderful sort of hybrid Spanish and yeah. British names. Alejandro Ferguson made his debut for Argentina in 1994 at the that year's uh, qualified for the 1996 World Cup, still plays for Argentina today. Um, So he's approaching 30 years international cricket. His dad, Tony, played for Argentina for 30 years. His granddad, whose name escapes me right now, but he played for Argentina for 30 years. Argentina played first-class cricket um, in between the two world wars and had a very good team at that time. There's a guy called Clement Gibson who played a little bit in England but was one of Wisdom's cricketers of the year during the First World War where they gave cricket. Cricketers of the year to schools cricket. He was playing schools cricket in England, but was born in Argentina, spent most of his life in Argentina and played cricket for Argentina. Um, and there was a guy who played for Somerset called John Jackson, who played for Chile. Um, Chile was playing international cricket as early as the, in the early 1900s, diphtar, and then it came back in, like in Europe with a wave of Asian immigration um mexico has a long sort of cricket history one of the, the um the, there's a photo of the emperor of mexico as he as he calls off maximilian something um in in the late sort in the victorian era playing cricket um yeah and there's a there's some wonderful photos as well of during the 19 ahead of the 1986 football world cup um england were having a sort of Pre-tournament camp um, at the Reformer Athletic Club, which is a football and cricket club, um, and the England football team played a cricket match against the cricket club while they were there. So you've got like Gary Lineker batting and John Barnes running in bowling. Um, <coughs> some fascinating photos there. Um, I think I didn't mention there as well when I was talking about Italy. I'm um, AC Milan. Was founded as Milan Cricket and Football Club. It was a cricket club first, and now is one of the best football clubs in in the yeah. world. You see, you see that a lot. I think Genoa as well started as a football and cricket club. So you see, you see a lot of multi sports clubs that started as cricket clubs, but are now perhaps better known for other sports, mostly football. Happens in Argentina as well. Some of the top Argentine rugby clubs also have still have cricket clubs, but originally were yeah. better known as cricket clubs in in Argentina.
0: Yeah. Now that's there that's very interesting to hear. Um, just fascinating listening to you, just speak about these facts and these different stories that many of the associate teams have. And I think many people uh, would would learn a lot from just listening to you on that. So that's very fascinating hearing you speak about that, Andrew. Um, I thought we'd talk about the growth and development of cricket within Europe in terms of getting cricket into local communities, clubs, schools, grassroots, all that stuff. And Andrew, you would agree this is one of the most difficult challenges for any associate nation in the world to do. Yeah, How do you try and convince people to play a sport that is so foreign and it's not a part of the mainstream sort of sporting landscape. So many cricket boards ask themselves these questions. How do we get it into local communities? How do we make it accessible? At your local park you can go down to the nets facilities all that stuff and even you know building talent like competitions pathways underage stuff you know to play international cricket for for that particular countries and getting cricket into schools and their programs and sporting programs so all these difficult questions and also uh, one tournament that's doing that is the european european cricket league which is Mm -hmm. promoting cricket around europe and traveling around Europe and different regions and countries and gives opportunities for players to play uh in that tournament from associate nations, which is fantastic. And that's been going on since 2019. Um obviously it provides a bit of comedic effect. Sometimes mm. there's viral videos that come out, which is hilarious. But that's that's a good thing for the game, I suppose, to get that exposure and attention on European cricket. So even though yeah. it's funny, but it's in a way it's a positive thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think one of one of the the good things about the European Cricket League is that you you only need to watch it. You only need to be on YouTube.
0: And everybody yeah, can yeah.
1: access YouTube. Yeah, I think this is one of the problems that cricket has in in much of the world, uh, not just in Europe, but where it's on TV. It's on sort of you know expensive subscription services or on yeah. streaming services that are targeted at the expat market. And I think you, know, as I said, you know, I stumbled across cricket watching it on TV, um, on free TV, and. I'm sure Bertus told you about um the Netherlands in the eighties would get BBC one on sort of yeah. satellite and cable systems and they, people would stumble across cricket that way. Now there isn't really a way to stumble across cricket, but the European Cricket League and their sort of myriad tournaments give a potential of stumbling across cricket and stumbling across cricket in your country. That uh, it's not oh, oh hang on, that's just down the road. I could yeah. go and I can go and have a go there. Um, yeah. You know, you know it's that, it's that phrase that you, you, you hear a lot: you, you, "You cannot be what you cannot see." Right. Um, and you know that, that that that's very true as as far as cricket goes. You know, the, often the big obstacle for cricket is is money. Um, and I don't want to turn this into you know bashing India or anything like that, but because um, you know that gets you a lot of negative attention on Twitter. But you know. Mm. There are some associate members who get annual funding of about thirty thousand US dollars, mm. which doesn't really go so far in, um, you know, certainly in developed countries. Um, you know, and to put that into context, that is actually more money. That's like less money than the BCCI make per day from the ITC. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. in fact, I think it might even be less than they make an hour. To be honest, um, if you if you do the maths, so yeah. there, as I say, as I said earlier, you know it's criminally underfunded in, in 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 some respects. And what I think one thing that will change is cricket being in the Olympics. Um, yeah. This is going to be massive for cricket in associate countries. For the teams that are actually going to be playing in the Olympics probably not going to have any impact really you know great britain and australia aren't going to gain from cricket being in the olympics india isn't going to gain anything from cricket being in the olympics yeah but um you know, a lot of sort of countries where governments fund sport they fund olympic sports yeah and you know, when I, you know when i've spoken to you know people who are trying to introduce the game into schools in their country um
0: yeah
1: you the first thing that like school boards tend to ask is, Is this in the Olympics? And as soon as you yeah. say no, they lose interest. But if you can yeah. say yes, oh, now I'm interested, and you know, if it'll, you can tell, people, like, oh. does
0: yeah, massively,
1: yeah, and it, your sponsors get attracted to things like that as well. And it, all of a sudden, it becomes very e- e- much easier to um, to fund these programs. And I think yeah. you're you, Olympic cricket will lead to and hopefully it will last a long time obviously it's going to be in 2028 2032 yep. is in Brisbane so I assume they're going to include cricket as well yes. it's looking like 2036 might be in Mumbai so cricket obviously going to be part of so that cricket then becomes sort of more entrenched in the Olympics and it can be a permanent yep. part of the, perhaps will even become a permanent part of the Olympics because the, the International Olympic cricket International Olympic Committee have wanted cricket for several years now because yep. it's they're, you know, the Indian market is where they have the lowest reach, so they see what well, cricket is a way to get that, in, that those big Indian TV money. I think that I read that the, the TV rights for the Olympics in 2028 in India will be worth almost 10 times as much because cricket's going to be in those Olympics, yes. so it, it's big money for the IOC, so that's why they're interested in cricket. But that impact further down the line it essentially turns many associate members from having the ICC funding make up the majority of their revenue to making up a significant minority of their revenue. Yeah. And that changes the game slightly in terms of being able to put in these grassroots programmes, being able to develop facilities, getting access to high-performance coaches and fitness and things like that. And um, the other big thing is that cricket will be on TV, on regular Normal TV, not on obscure subscription services. You know, or poor on... streams
0: from the ICC or something like that.
1: Yeah, you know, it will be on you know, the other, equivalent of the BBC. It will be on the Mexican equivalent yeah, yeah. Channel Seven or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, it will be on national TV. You'll be able to see the best players playing cricket on TV. You'll be able to stumble across it, and that, I think that's your. As I said, a lot of people have discovered cricket because they've stumbled across it. And anything that's going to make it easier for people to stumble across cricket is a good thing. As I say, for India, England and Australia, for New Zealand, for Pakistan, Olympic cricket is having no impact. Down the line, the teams that aren't even going to be playing in the Olympics, the impact will be massive. It will be transformative. As I say, it, yep. turns cricket, it turns cricket into these countries into a major sport almost overnight.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sort of like with the T20 World Cup next year with more teams, isn't it? Yeah. gain that more opportunity to associate nations. What do you think about that? Do you think that's a good move by the ICC oh, to increase the number of T20? Definitely. World?
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm I'm all for having bigger tournaments. And bigger tournaments as well that lets you have better formats. Um, I don't think they've quite got the format right for the, the, this This workup. I don't like the second group stage. I'd rather them just go straight to yeah. knockouts after that first round. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, four groups of five and then knockouts would be a nice quick tournament. But you're adding that sort of second group stage, it just makes it drag on a little bit. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: I, I, people always talk about the 2007 World, your ODI World Cup, which was 16 oh. teams. And, oh, it was terrible that first round with four groups of four. No, no that wasn't the terrible part of that World Cup. That was the Super 8 stage. That was the one yeah. that dragged on for a month with Ireland and Bangladesh. No, no disrespect to them sticking up, stinking up the place for for, for a month. Um, whereas if the, that tournament had gone straight to quarterfinals, you'd have got Ireland and Bangladesh out of the way quickly and got to the business end of the tournament very yeah. quickly. I, you know, I think if they'd have done that, we'd probably still have a 16-team ODI World Cup today. But unfortunately, India slipped up and Pakistan slipped up and, what should have been the big money India-Pakistan game in the Super 8 became Ireland against Bangladesh. Yeah. Again, no disrespect to those teams, but that's not what people are watching the
0: World Cup for. Yeah. Um, well, they had some memorable moments in that World Cup. Yeah. That wins and they did pretty well yeah. and, uh, in those victories.
1: Yeah. And we've seen in the, you know, the most recent World Cup, some of the most memorable moments were the two Dutch victories, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I really, whenever when people ask what's your most memorable moments of the world cup, most of the things they'll list will, will be results where associates beat four members. Yeah, so you're know, you know, people who grew up in the 80s who grew up in the 70s, I suppose they will talk about Zimbabwe beating Australia in, in the 1983 world cup. I remember Zimbabwe beating England in the 1992 world cup. Yeah. They'll, you will talk about Kenya beating the West Indies. They'll talk about you know Bangladesh beating Pakistan. They'll talk about yeah. Canada beating Bangladesh. We'll talk about Kenya in the 2003 World Cup getting to the semi-finals. Yeah, they'll talk about that catch, Dwayne Leverworth took in 2007. Yes. You know, the, these are the memorable moments. You know, these add colour, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And, you know, I think, and it shows how cricket's going to, as developed. You know, if you. If you'd have looked at 2003, the 2003 World Cup where you had Zimbabwe and Kenya, who I think both made the Super sixes in that World Cup. Yeah. Tell someone now that in 2024, there'll be three African teams at a World Cup and none of them will be Kenya or Zimbabwe. Yeah. You know, that, that just shows how the game has developed. You know, Uganda yeah. and Namibia qualifying for the for the for the World Cup ahead of Zimbabwe, you know, Ireland very nearly slips up as well in 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 European qualifying. They beat Italy by, I think, only seven runs, and had they lost that game, they would yeah. you not know, they wouldn't have qualified. You would have seen Italy at, at the World Cup. And I think you know, that that just shows how how much the game has changed, and you know, I I fully expect an associate to get to the last eight of that World Cup because all it takes is. You know, you beat the other associate in the group, you get one other win, results elsewhere go your way, and you're through on that run rate. It's not out of the question um, that an associate will get into that into that second round at the World Cup. Um, hopefully it doesn't come at the expense of India, because that will change things a lot. Mm. Um, and I'm glad as well that the it is a genuine 20-team World Cup. You know, it's not got this first round... Um, as was very incorrect. Everybody knew it was another qualifier. Um, yeah, element to it. Uh, you know, it's a genuine 20 team World Cup. Every team starts at the same point at the same stage, competing for the same goal, and it's it's better. I think one potential downside is the, as I say, whereas the Olympics will be on free to air TV, that's not necessarily going to be the case for an ICC tournament. So. Obviously, it's in the USA, so hopefully that'll get a bit of some eyeballs in the USA, and hopefully they do a good TV deal in the USA to try and get it on maybe ESPN. I think ESPN already covers some of the ICC tournaments, but on their streaming service, hopefully, can get it on the main sort of ESPN yeah. channels so that most people can stumble across it. And yeah, I, I think it's a it's a failing of the ICC sometimes to sell the TV rights to. Subscription services in in developing countries, like my, yeah. and I think England recent a few for a few years would sell the rights for home test matches to YouTube for continental Europe, mm. so that you could get watch you know the, the games on YouTube, and again that's ways for people to stumble across the sport. You you you're not going to stumble across cricket if it's on a subscription service where you have to pay you know thirty quid a month. You yeah. know um, to, to get it uh, that's a cricket speciality service or
0: yeah or
1: whatever. And you're not going to stumble across cricket on icc.tv you know even people are trying to get cricket on icc.tv and struggle to watch it um so mm. um well i think you, anything you you want cricket to be visible and then people will, be, will come and if sometimes i think cricket forgets about the let's try and make it visible so I think there's, an, there's always an effort to grow players. You also need to grow fans. Yeah, uh, now that's sometimes more important than growing players, because um, nobody's going to start playing cricket if nobody's watching cricket. Yeah, that's you also, right. You know, um, so yeah, being able to grow an audience for cricket is, I think, just as important as growing players. And cricket sometimes forgets that.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's that's exactly right. We. We tend to forget that, as you say, um, about growing the game and helping each other out. Um, do you think the ICC can do, obviously, much better than they're doing now to um, encourage growth and development of associate cricket around the world? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, the, it's, it's, a, it's a strange thing. Strange beast is the ICC, and I think, I'm sure you'll hear this a lot on this series that there are the ICC, There are multiple parts of the ICC. Mm. There are. There's the development arm, and there's a lot of very you know, committed people in that, that department, You're know, really committed to growing the game and promoting the game around the world. They are sometimes hamstrung by the chief executive committee or the ITC board, where the full members have the biggest voice. And just And just to put this into perspective, on the ITC board, the 12 full members all get a vote, but then the 94 associate members get three votes between them. Mm. That isn't doesn't strike me as particularly fair um it's um and hence decisions tend to be made to benefit the few and not the many and that's one of the big problems i think with the with the very one so the itc is you've got a department that wants to do a lot but is sometimes prevented from doing a lot by the people who actually who are just trying to look after their own self-interest and you know people can look after their own self-interest but i think the People who run the game have a duty to the to the game as a whole. And I think they often forget that. You know, because in the end, if only India, England, and Australia are funded well, then eventually only India, England, and Australia are going to be playing cricket. Um, you know, because yeah. you you need to have teams to play. And if you don't look after that sort of grassroots, and in the end, for most full members there's not actually really that much more growth. You know, can you make cricket any more popular in Australia? Can you make it any more popular in India? Probably not. Yeah. You can make it a hell of a lot more popular in Uganda and more popular in Argentina or yeah. USA or Turkey. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of growth potential there. You know, I yeah. uh, the ICC, the ICC almost leave money on the table by not spending money to grow the game. You know, you've got your, Nigeria is a good example. They we're a very a growing force in African cricket. So they played in the global qualifier for the T Twenty World Cup in twenty nineteen, um, <clears throat> and have played in an Under nineteen World Cup as well. And Africa in general is a major growth area for for cricket, especially women's cricket. Um, yeah. Why it's a bit of a scandal that no African team can qualify for the Women's ODI World Cup other than Zimbabwe and South Africa because um, only teams with ODI status are going to be allowed to qualify. No African team has, no African associate has ODI status in women's cricket. Um, you know, we saw Rwanda, obviously at the Women's Under-19 World Cup earlier this year, beating the West Indies and in Zimbabwe. You know, imagine telling someone that Rwanda would beat the West Indies mm. even two years ago. <laughs> never <Yeah>. mind, <laughs> never mind 10 years ago. Yeah, because um, Rwanda is sort of a good example of where cricket is growing in a, in a different way because you know, Rwanda's a Francophone country. It doesn't have a history of British colonialism. You know, you see Mali as well, who sort of made headlines a few years ago when they conceded 300 in a T20i and a women's T20i. And obviously recently you've seen Chile concede 400 in a women's T20i. Um, yeah. And then Argentina score a thousand runs in a three-match series, which is you know, barely believable. And I think mm-hmm. expanding T20I status has helped this because although those records happen and you see you're, and you, people are sort of shocked by them, would anybody be talking about an Argentina-the-Chile women's match if it wasn't a T20I? Probably not. No. No. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, expanding T20I status has been mm-hmm. probably the most progressive move the ICC have mm-hmm. ever made. And your cricket administrators around the world are not known for their progressive opinions. Um, but in this case, they were, and they've done something quite spectacular there. I think getting quicker into the Olympics as well is a very progressive move. Um, so I think there, there are, there's there's positives. Um, there's always the risk of the ICC screwing things up. Um, <laughs> As I say, self interest sometimes rules at the ITC because yeah, obviously, yeah. you cricket didn't get into the Olympics for so long because India didn't want cricket in the Olympics. Yeah. And, and England didn't want cricket in the Olympics for a long time as well. England used to say that, oh, cricket being in the Olympics would cause us to cancel four test matches in the summer. And it's like, well, the Olympics is only last two weeks and the cricket, men's cricket, it's really going to last one week. Hmm. Why would that, as a cancellation of four test matches, that yeah. doesn't really add up um and then india didn't want cricket in the olympics because it was it would mean more government oversight but like anybody who watched the the recent world cup knows that the relationship between the btci and the indian government is uh very intertwined these days um yeah. so you know things have changed for the better um as i i'm always you know i'm a natural cynic and i'm I'm always worried that something's going to happen to mess things up. Um, yeah, you know, the, the, there's lo- there's long histories of things happening. You're growing the World Cup and then shrinking it back down. Um, saying you're going to expand the T Twenty World Cup and then saying actually that we, we're going to add this preliminary round to it. There's hi- there's 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 history, so I think I'm naturally you know, I, Anybody who's been involved in associate cricket, who's been a fan of the associate cricket, you start out sort of wide-eyed and sort of positive and wanting to you know spread the gospel, uh, as yeah. it were. And then eventually you become sort of bitter, twisted, and cynical. And you know, I've I've been you know sort of covering it for over twenty years now, and um, I've, I've become very bitter, twisted, and cynical. Um, but I was, to some extent, I was like that to start with. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm yeah cautiously optimistic for for the growth of cricket. You know, especially as I say with the 20 team T20 World Cup, the ODI World Cup's growing again uh, to 14 teams next time. Cricket's getting in the Olympics, and hopefully, will become entrenched in the Olympics. It's getting into the regional sport, regional games as well. Obviously, it's been in and out of the Pacific Games for a while came back into the asian games this year it's going to be in the african games next year it's going to be in the next pan american games these are all sort of important things for um your associate members in these countries because you know if cricket's in the pan american games an associate is definitely going to play in that an associate is definitely going to be playing in the african games man the for the olympics but for these regional events they will they will be playing in because there's not enough teams to to go around so you'll are you going to see more investment will happen because that is happening um governments will get more interested schools will get more interested in terms of getting cricket onto the curriculum and as long as the icc doesn't do anything to screw
0: it up it's, yeah um, that's, that's it's, the main thing fingers that's, crossed that's that's cross. yeah fingers crossed and let's hope the icc uh continue to or not think about themselves for a change, and think about others and help out yeah. the global game, which is which is what cricket's about. It's, it's about helping each other out and growing the game and the sport. And yeah, we haven't quite seen that.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, cricket. 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 Cricket, to be as I said, cricket preaches fair play. Well, let's mm. practice what we preach. That's, be that's right.
0: Yeah, but you know. How's a be, and that's that's their agenda, and that's what they want to try and think about their own pockets and their own self-interest. So yeah. hopefully that changes um, as the years come and as we progress throughout the years uh, so to see, try and grow yeah. the game globally. Um, you
1: see, you see a good example of that with the ODI Super League, which yeah. was launched and then collapsed because yeah. India, Australia, and England lost interest but now australia has had a change of your know, cricket oh. administration now they want the super league back so you, <laughs> you see you know, there's, there's no sort of consistency you know I, I mean can you remember the last time the world cup this was I guess this is the first time the world cup has had the same format for two tournaments in a row for you know, when, when it's never had the same format for three tournaments in a row. You
0: know, no, it's, had a, it's, it's always chopped and changed. It's yeah.
1: always chopping and changing. You know that, and that lack of consistency makes it very hard to plan when you're a, an amateur associate board when you you don't know. You almost you you, you don't know where your next meal is coming from. To use that, use yeah. a bit of a cliche. You, you you don't know what the pathway is going to be. You know, still, still now we don't really know hundred percent what the qualifying how qualifying is going to work for. The next world cup the sort of bits and bobs coming out but nobody's made a formal announcement you know yeah. a, there was a classic example during that during the world cup when it turned out nobody actually knew that this was a, also a qualifier from the champions trophy yes. if you don't yeah. the the this communication doesn't happen so people don't know what the pathway is and if you don't know what the pathway is it's hard to sort of get a track sponsorship if you don't know what are we actually going to be playing a qualifying tournament next year this year Obviously yeah, not now. I mean, you know, in December you'd know whether you're playing a qualified tournament uh, or not. But, you know, I think you know, there a lot of, there's a lot of associate members and some of the top associate members as well who don't know what their fixtures are going to be for the next 12 months. Yeah. That's not the case for England, Australia or India. Yeah. They know exactly what their fixtures are. You know, we, I think we know what England's fixtures are in 2025. Yeah. Your home fixtures at least. So you so you can do long term so planning. So if you don't know whether you're gonna get any matches or not, you can't long plan for the long term, you can't attract sponsors. You can't yeah, say right. to a sponsor, We're gonna be playing 10 matches on TV next year. We can get your company's logo on TV around the world. Yes. But if you that's don't right. know you're gonna have any matches, you can't get those sponsors. So yeah. Yeah, so so I think some some forward planning, some consistency, and some long-term thinking. And I think the ICC as well also need to recognise that their product is international cricket, and they need to promote that product. You'll often see you're, the ICC will be running a qualifier for the T Twenty World Cup, and will be tweeting about the IPL. Yeah, why why are you doing that? You don't run the IPL. No. Yeah, <laughs> why why are you promoting a competitor? Um, you know, it's, it'd be like it'd be like you know, Pepsi tweeting about Coca Cola almost. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. so, why, why would you do that? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and you know, un- unless you're saying, well, if you like this, well, unless you're saying Coca Cola is rubbish, that's you know, that's the only time you should talk about sort of, Pepsi. Yeah, put that's, that's right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, the, so you'll see the ICC will tweet about the IPL whilst they're running a qualifying tournament and they won't know they'll mention the IPL more than the tournament they're actually running It's actually their their products why 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 do that um so yeah promote things better and yeah plan plan better be more consistent and think about other people for a change
0: (laughs) yeah that's right but also another thing i wanted to raise with you andrew is um the future of odi cricket and that's you know, probably going to be gone altogether, or whatever, and that will be at a disadvantage for associate cricket as well, because they mainly play ODIs and T20s. That's it; they don't play Test matches because they um, don't have that sort of status, or may not achieve that sort of um, uh, that goal or aspiration to play Test cricket. So, if one day cricket was to disappear, as many people are talking about. How how will that affect associate cricket in terms of those teams relying on two formats of the game which they play a lot of cricket? Um, yeah, I
1: think you know, it's important to say you know, for for associate members, fifty over cricket is the longest
0: form
1: mm. that they play, and the ICC has not been very good at you know, think the actual you know the qualification pathway for the for this year's ODI World Cup was some of the best ODI cricket that's mm. happened in a long time. You, know, you had Nepal winning you know, eleven out of the last 12 matches to to qualify for the World Cup qualifier. You, you, you had all the, you had these great tri-series um in that time. The World Cup qualifier itself, you know that that Netherlands, the West Indies game, which I will say is one of the best ODIs ever played. Nobody saw it. Hardly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, over here you know, sky sports have the rights to show that game and didn't show it mm. and you you you've got 380 tied with 380 and then a super over where a guy scores 30 runs and takes two wickets that's a good game of cricket why wasn't that on yeah. tv why wasn't that being promoted more um you you cricket shoots itself in the foot sometimes where it has a great product and i don't i, I dislike talking about um, cricket as a product, almost, but it, you know, it, in in reality, it is a product. And yeah,
0: it's if a. It's a got, if, you,
1: if 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 you've got a great product, why aren't you promoting it? Yeah, you know, yeah. You've got a really solid product here, and I, I, I you know, as I said, you know, I think when I got into associate cricket, I enjoyed it because of that organized structure to international cricket. I think if you can bring full members into that properly. Not do it a bit sort of half assed like they, they have done in with the super league and with the world test championship. If you can structure international cricket properly, um, then I think that's for the benefit. I would, I've, I've for a long time thought if you you could very easily have you know a separate sort of four year cycle for each form, whereas for and then each year you have a global event, you have a test championship one year, you have a you have a T20 World Cup the next, you have an ODI World Cup the next year, and you have the Olympics in, in the fourth year. You can you can sort of you can structure international cricket like art. So everybody has a pathway, everybody knows what matches they're going to be playing and when. But cricket, as I say, it's still run like it, it's the 19th century and it's okay just to get anywhere and you couldn't see the best players on TV every week. You <laughs> know. So you know, cricket, I think at the full member level needs to move with the times and start thinking about the way it's structured and the product it's putting out there you know the the island V Zimbabwe series that started the other day is a classic example of that that's not being shown on TV in Zimbabwe or Ireland why <laughs> and it's not on and okay, it's not on TV but and I think the, the ultimate question answer to that why is because it doesn't really count for anything. Yeah, I think why broadcasters have moved to franchise cricket. Franchise cricket has a narrative; it has, each tournament has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Whereas Test cricket doesn't have a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's just it just happens. It's um, yeah. You know, you're watching you you start. You're watching the middle of the film. You're not watching the the you know, the start and the end. There's no ending, there's no consequence for losing, there's no... Argentina are a good example of this, they they were in the World Cricket League, they got up to Division 2 of the World Cricket League, so one division below ODI status, then they lost um, about 20 games in a row and they got relegated to Division 3, to Division 4, to Division 5, to Division 6, and now are the tournament, are the structure altogether. if England lose 20 games in a row, nothing happens
0: Hmm. but what if it did? Yeah
1: what, your Australia between the 2015 and 2019 World Cup played absolutely terrible in ODI cricket. What if they would have got relegated? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would take international cricket more seriously. You would want to play better. You would, I think, you would care more. You know, when I mean, there's no consequences, it's hard to care. And I think if you've got uh, the World Test Championship, I, I, I like, but there's no consequences for finishing last yeah i think even in fact i think seventh eighth and ninth all get the same prize money in that tournament what if ninth had to have a playoff against zimbabwe for mm. the you know what if um and cricket is a has a long history of what ifs and you know it would be nice if we didn't have to say a what if anymore
0: Yeah, that's right but that's just the way it is. Um, yeah. and, and another thing before we move on, Andrew, from this topic is um, some of the uh, franchise leagues, they have some associate players playing in mm-hmm. some leagues, which is fantastic. Um, we'll we see more associate players get into these leagues like the BBO, or IPO, et cetera. I, I, I
1: hope so. Um, I, I think associate players are often criminally undervalued in, in yep. franchise leagues. I think the ICC have introduced a rule now where, um, there's a, I think there's now a cap on how many associate how many overseas spots you can have, but you can have one extra overseas spot if it's an associate player. I think that that may have a, a positive impact as, and as well on, on another thing as well if you've, because now if you're an associate player, you're more valuable to a franchise league. Um, because and that may encourage associate players who can play for a full member as well to maybe stay with the associate member because so if Tim David had carried on playing for Singapore and yeah. this rules in place, all of a sudden he's got an extra slot to take up in that franchise league if he's a Singapore player whereas if he's an Australia player he takes up one of the standard overseas players so, yeah. so you, you might see more, more teams stick with the, the associate member that they're part of rather than Try and qualify for a member, so that would be beneficial. Um, as I say, the associate cricketers are notoriously undervalued in these franchise leagues. Um, I think franchise leagues are quicker to pick. You know, no disrespect to them, but you know, sort of mediocre Australian and South African players than they are better sometimes. Um, associate member players. Um, Kamal Leverock from Bermuda, who's Dwayne Leverock's nephew. That's his Twitter handle. Um, um, was sort of bemoaning his sort of absence from franchise T Twenty, and you know he's a very talented uh, spin bowler who I think would slot very well into you know maybe, uh, perhaps not the IPL but certainly you know, this the Caribbean Premier League or the Big Bash League or the Hundred in England. You know he would fit very well into a, into a league like that and perform very well, but he doesn't he doesn't get uh, looking because he's an associate player. And I think there's, a, there's still a stigma about associate players. I think, and yeah. this even happens within associate countries as well. You know, you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of times where you find an Australian with, you know, who's got a passport for an associate country, and he'll just walk into the team no matter what because he's Australian. You know, sometimes your know, associate members get get you know, lucky. You know, everybody will remember John Davison for Canada, but for yeah. every. Every John Davison there's a Stuart Heaney. And if you're saying who's Stuart Heaney, that sort of beats my point. But he he had a similar background to John Davison. He he was born in Canada to parents who were working there. And he ended up he was involved with the Australian Cricket Academy and he had this Canadian passport. Someone from Cricket Canada thought, right, we'll pick him then. He's Australian, he must be good. And he wasn't. (laughs) And he, he he failed miserably. He didn't do what John Davison did, because you don't always strike gold. And I think there's um there is sometimes, as I say, this stigma against homegrown talent in associate countries where or if he's been playing in Australia, he must be good. He must be better than what we're producing. I think yeah. associate cricket sorry, associate cricket sometimes sells itself short. Um and but if other if everybody else is saying associate cricket isn't as good as full member cricket. And, you know, and yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that you know all associate players could play the IPL. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm not stupid. Um, but there's a lot of talent in associate member countries, yeah. and that often gets overlooked. It's happening. There are. It's happening more. I think people are getting are learning more about um, the talent that's there in associate countries. You, you, I think the the Fairbreak tournament in in Hong Kong was a good example of that, where you had. You know, Rwandan players playing alongside English players, and yeah. uh, alongside there's a Swedish player played in that in the Fair break tournament uh, this year. So you you see, and you have a Rwandan player bowling out an English player. You know, that's that's amazing that 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 can happen. And I think that's a that's a good example of that. Whilst the the national teams might not be able to compete, individual players can compete. Um, I think, mean, unfortunately, in international cricket, uh, you, if you've got one really good player and that really good player has a bad day, then the, your your team's going to lose. Yeah. Um. But that one player can play really well as part of a wider franchise setup. So, I'm not anti-franchise cricket uh, by any stretch of the imagination. It's, it's always described as a battle between franchise cricket and international cricket. I think they can yeah. coexist as long as both are managed correctly.
0: And as we've just discussed, that's not the No, no, it's not. um, Yeah, um, obviously it's, you know, just one of those things, I suppose, in cricket is, you know, it's it's like talking to a brick wall. You know, nothing gets done, you know. You hammer away, you hammer away, and then nothing gets done, you know. So we just need the ICC to have a change of mindset, that's all. And once yeah, you
1: have that, then you, yeah. you're on your way. You know? You know, you know, a, lot, a lot of people in, in the ICU will talk a good game about growing the game. Hmm. Well, yeah, of course we want more people, our countries to be playing cricket, but we don't want to give up our spot. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. um, it's that sort of um elitism that you know people will be aware of in England with the ICC report about um you know obviously it covered racism, but it also covered classism. And there's a lot of that in in cricket where there's this thing up, oh, an associate member can never be good. The people will, will say that, oh, cricket's never – you're never going to get a good Danish player. Despite all evidence of the contrary, like there's a Danish guy who's played cricket for England and yeah. who's been very successful in county cricket. They'll say, oh, Denmark can't actually be a good team. Well, Denmark yeah. nearly qualified for a World Cup. You, know, hmm. you, know, you know, there was a time when the USA was the third best team in the world, behind England yeah. and Australia. There the, the have been moments for a social cricket where it's competed, but I think there's a tendency to put barriers. It's that, yeah, it'd be nice if, it'd be nice if you can, if, not um, well, Uganda's a bad example because they just qualified for a World Cup, but, you know, it'd be nice if um, Fiji qualified for a World Cup. Yeah. But, do we want them to qualify for a World Cup at the expense of India? But um, cricket needs to have another, another, other countries that it's played in. Because if anything happens to the big countries, this is the thing about the West Indies. Everybody's awesome. Cricket needs a strong West Indies. Yeah. It only needs a strong West Indies because you're not making other teams strong. You're, you're, yeah. Football is a good example of this, where Hungary were one of the best teams in the world in the fifties. Now out of nowhere, they don't qualify for the World Cup. They they only only just qualify for the European Championship for the first time in, in, in decades. Yeah. But nobody talks about oh football needed a strong hung- needs a strong Hungary. Because there yeah. were other teams that were allowed to sort of rise and and, and replace them. And that's a real tragedy of West Indian cricket. There's nothing for them to drop into. Yeah. Because there's as much as there's a glass ceiling, there's a glass floor as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that you can't go down through. Whereas... Yeah. Because the, you know, the ideal situation for the Westerners would be that they do drop down and then they play more against teams that they can beat and they can get back up and get build confidence and start coming back up, to, back up again. But there's nothing for them to drop into. So no. <laughs> just as that sort of hard barrier between full members and associate members that, Yes. um, you Know it's the black knight in Monty Python saying none shall pass, and yeah. um, you know, uh, <clears throat> and that's changing. I think the more that you're seeing associate members play with full members, you're seeing that that line doesn't really exist, it's a figment of people's imaginations for the most part. That like when, when yeah. you've seen now associate members competing for qualification spots with full members, whereas previously, full members just got automatic entry to every tournament, you know. Yeah. That's, that's as I as I've often said, you know the the last this most recent World Cup was technically the first World Cup that England qualified for. they would never qualified for a cricket World Cup before.
0: It, yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so because they've always got automatic entry. Whereas now, when you see four members having to play in qualifying tournaments with associate members, sometimes you see associate members beat them and qualify instead of them. We've seen that in the T Twenty World Cup. We saw it in the ODI World Cup. So that line doesn't really exist. Yeah. There's a lot of people who have a very sort of strong interest in keeping that line there and watching yeah, right. the people who control cricket. Which is yeah. Actually,
0: yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Andrew, <laughs> we've come to the end of our discussion, but there's one more topic still to talk about. And we've already touched on it a little bit, and that's looking into the crystal ball, looking into the future of associate cricket and also cricket in Europe as well. I I know it's very hard to predict the future because you don't know, you know what's gonna happen. But Andrew, if you had to predict the future, how do you see European cricket and associate cricket going into the future? Is it gonna be strong? Is it gonna suffer many challenges, obstacles? What's your take?
1: So I think I, I'm I'm probably more optimistic about the future than I have been for a long time. Yeah. Uh, as, as, as we've discussed already, cricket in the Olympics is is the big game changer. That is going to help get cricket into schools, get sponsors, get governments interested in 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 funding cricket. Uh, that 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 is the is the big big change. So it's it's not an, it's not an impact that's going to happen overnight. It's not even going to happen in the next ten years. We probably won't see the impact for another twenty years. Um, you know, by which time I'll be, you know, you know, getting on a bit and, but hopefully still still be around to watch it. Um, and yeah. I think there will be more countries in Europe and around the world pushing out the World Cup, at the, the T20 World Cup and hopefully maybe even the ODI World Cup if it still exists in 20 years. You know, I think you will see, obviously we've all, for a long time we've seen, you know, three or four European countries at a World Cup. I think we'll start to see five or six European countries at the World Cup. And especially as well in the women's game, the women's game is expanding rapidly throughout the world. You know, we spoke about Rwanda at the Women's Under-19 World Cup this year. You know, there's massive growth happening in Africa and in South America and in Europe and in Asia as well. And you know, I think the benefit of women's cricket in Asia, so in a lot of these countries, women don't play sport other than cricket. Um, so you you've got an opportunity, a real opportunity for growth in women's cricket. Unfortunately, the ICC sometimes don't realise that, but I think um, there are people who do realise that and are are trying to push push the game there. I think so. I think the the I think women's cricket and men's cricket are going to look very different. I mean, we already see a bit of that in associate world. Well, you know, the Thailand men's team, for example, are absolutely nowhere. In terms of international, they're nowhere near qualifying for a world cup. The Thailand yeah. women's team do qualify for world cups. You know, the um women's cricket in Europe as well as so Austria and Germany are amongst the, the very top teams in women's cricket in associate wise, but that's not necessarily the case in in men's cricket. So, you're gonna, I think, you're gonna see more not a separation in terms of how is you know how the games. are are administered but in terms of the teams that are involved i think you'll see very different teams at the top of the women's game and certainly in associate cricket and then you then you will in men's cricket Uh, i think cricket will get become more popular i think there will be and, and some of that will be demographic changes there will be more immigration from cricket playing countries but some of that will happen because again cricket is in the olympics And that will be cricket a bigger sport and it will get more people interested in cricket. I think it's going to grow from a participation point and a spectator point as well. And so, yeah, I am optimistic that in 20 years there will be more strong cricket-playing countries competing for World Cup spots and that we will see eventually a day where one of those top four members doesn't qualify for a World Cup. I think we will see a day when England doesn't play a World Cup. I am optimistic that that will happen. And I know that sounds very odd as someone who's English. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think English people to some extent like misery. And, um, <laughs> but you know, and, and I think you know, people think oh, it'd be terrible if India doesn't play in a World Cup. But, you know, you yeah. Germany don't qualify for every Cricket World Cup, every football World Cup. Sorry, Brazil sometimes lose out in the first round. It's if 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 your game if your sport requires certain countries to always be involved at the top of the game. You don't have a healthy sport. But I think cricket is has the potential to become a healthier sport in the next sort of 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. It was very, very odd to be positive. So
0: yeah I'll stop. Well, yeah, um, yeah. You you gotta be positive, I suppose. You've got to be optimistic and yeah. just believe and hope that you know mm-hmm. one day that cricket itself can grow and par- prosper and be a, a very flourishing game around the world which many people should enjoy because cricket's a game for all isn't, isn't that right so yeah unfortunately, not always been the case but it, it, it hasn't it, always been the case but it is, it it is a
1: game for all and should be a game for all and
0: hopefully it becomes a
1: game for more in
0: the yeah. future absolutely well andrew thank you so much for for joining me today we've spoken for one and a half hours on associate cricket we can go on all day we could speak for a very long time but um maybe we have to come ask you back for another episode to to talk more about associate cricket in greater detail but i thoroughly enjoyed it today uh if people want to get in touch with you andrew if if they want to do that or ask you some questions where can they do that where can they find you
1: so i'm on i'm on uh, twitter or the website formerly known as twitter whatever elon's calling it today um that's at Andrew nixon 79 i'm on uh mastodon and blue sky as well i post occasionally on there uh, so yeah those are the places you can find me um and i'm i'm always open to answer questions as, as long as you behave yourself um, <laughs> Um, i have a very um short fuse on blocking people <laughs> so yeah um, i am if, if, if you if you have an open mind and i'm and i'm interested to talk to you so yeah, I'll, yeah i am i am available on social media uh quite regularly, probably a bit too much but um yeah. that's that's, a, that's yeah. another, another topic
0: yeah um we'll leave a link to to those in the uh, description of this episode and before we go, remember to like, share, comment, and subscribe, and click the bell to make sure we get the latest episodes of the podcast. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. So, the podcast is available on Anchor, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you, Andrew, for joining me today. Thank you, things European Cricket and Associate Cricket. I hope all of you watching or listening to this Associate Cricket Series episode learned a lot more about uh, European cricket and Associate Cricket from Andrew today in our chat. Until next time, keep safe and bye for now.